0: On this episode of When Everything is Missions, it's Matthew Ellison and Jeff Lewis from Radical Ministry. Here's a question that Jeff asks in his study guide, God's Heart for the Nations. Will our generation of the church be obedient to the mandate of Jesus Christ and participate in completing the task? So let's set the table for today's discussion and you are in line for a thought-provoking, wide-ranging discussion about the Great Commission. We want to welcome new friends to this audio episode and let you know that matthew and jeff have long resumes and missions work and hearts for the nations to match okay then let's lean in and listen to matthew ellison and jeff lewis in a special broadcast recorded with host jim williams here we go
1: we are today talking into our church missions coach matthew ellison he's the founder of 1615 he is the chief ministry officer and co-founder of 1615. He devotes his time to serving local churches across the country he, uh, by coaching them in strategically focused missions and helping them to discover their unique gifts and partnership with others to make Christ known among all the nations. What an amazing thing. And we're also joined by Jeff Lewis. Uh, he is the discipleship director with Radical Ministry. Jeff, Matthew, welcome to ABQ Connect. Thank
2: you. Yeah, what it's a, it's a pleasure to be, to be here. here.
1: You know, Matthew, you have appeared on the program a number of times. We want our listeners to understand. And when we say listeners, we're not just talking about lay people. We're talking about church leadership Mm. because you help coach people to understand how to mobilize a missions program. That's right, and it's an exciting thing i've uh had John as recently as a week ago, mm-hmm. and uh, we get emails and and phone calls. We had Jason Elam with Seed Company on, and he's taking Bible translations, so he's talking about the last indigenous people in the world that have not received the gospel because there is no translation mm-hmm. of the Bible, right and I'm thinking about all the things you've taught us and thinking. And so I mentioned that today, and you said, yeah, they're one of our partners for
2: 10 years. That's right. Yeah, oftentimes when we coach a church, if a real passion for the Bible emerges through that process, and they have a heart for the least reach, unreach, it's a natural to say, well, why not consider Bible translation? Why, Why not get connected to a people group that doesn't yet have the scriptures in their heart language? So, yeah, already one of our partners Well, it's exciting,
1: and Matthew, I I want you to uh, give us a little information about Jeff, and he's here to work with you in 1615
2: and all the things you guys are doing. That's right. Let's get started. Yeah, so Jeff and I have known each other a couple years, and Jeff has been involved in mobilization, as you mentioned, for 32 years, missions mobilization, and I've been involved for 25, so we have almost – do the math here – We've we've got a lot of fifty seven years, almost sixty years <laughs> of missions mobilization experience. So hopefully we have something beneficial to share with our listening audience today. And Jeff, you work with Radical. Why don't you just talk about Radical really quickly?
3: Radical, in its first existence, was a David Platt ministry of resources for the church. In this past year, as they hired me and a few other folks. We are now shifting to a ministry focused on mobilizing the church, Hmm. not only in the United States, but across the globe to focus on the unreached and the unengaged.
2: That's great. And uh, really excited about that shift, Uh, been blessed. And I know so many of our listeners as well have been blessed by David Platt's resources. But now Radical's not just providing content, as you mentioned, they're going to get engaged in mobilizing churches. And that is just thrilling to me. In fact, that's one of the reasons you're in town. We're talking about a partnership between Radical and 1615. Mm -hmm. So we're birds of a feather, really excited about what's going on here. So I'm just going to jump right in, Jeff. We're just going to dive right into this topic here. In 60 seconds, how would you characterize the state of the Great Commission in 2020?
3: 60 seconds.
2: <laughs> you right. can go longer if you need to. Okay. I just, no. give me I the heart it. of it. Give me the heart of it.
3: You know, I think uh, I need to break it down yeah. almost per region. Okay. In the United States, I th- believe we're going backwards. Okay. Because what we've done is we have relegated the Great Commission to mean this, to make disciples. Which means we've extracted the phrase out of the context. Hmm. Because Matthew 28, verse 19 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all all nations. All nations. But now most pastors and church leaders and disciplers don't include all the nations. They just say, our task is to make disciples. So it is understood from a very ethno-egocentric perspective and not in the global perspective, that it is given in scripture. Mm-hmm. Now, other parts in the world, I'm thrilled. I was just down in Brazil back in December uh, for 1, people coming together, talking about mobilization. In the last 10 years, we have seen, um, had the privilege of working in, with indigenous leaders, Kenyan indigenous leaders, Rwandan indigenous leaders, and their are captains of the earth. So what we're helping them do is Put on yeah. it because it was extracted as it was exported from the United States. Yeah. I've
2: often heard we've domesticated the Great Commission. Oh, yes. By leaving hmm. off the object. And, and and no one should push back on the imperative of making disciples. Oh, no. We should be making disciples, but not making disciples, period. It's well, discipling all the nations.
3: Our problem is Western discipleship is about developing an individual in their personal walk with jesus christ but missing the greater goal of god that biblical discipleship is developing disciples of the nations whether they leave their geographical point of location here in the states or they go to the ends of the earth it doesn't matter yeah everything they do should be done and accomplished in a global context yeah that's right so
2: let's shift here a little bit keying off of that question right there Let's imagine, Jim, if you can imagine this with us, this is a pretty, you know, intense question here. You're in a room with a hundred leading American pastors. What would you advise them about improving their missions efforts? A hundred of the leading American pastors, what would you say to
3: them? Wow. There'd be a few things that I would highlight. One, you have to teach your people the broader story of God that really everything that There needs to be understood in the context of the grand narrative, the meta-narrative, the story of God that is communicated. That starts from Genesis, goes to Revelation. And really, the focal point is that all the ends of the earth would be blessed through Abram. And the culmination of that with, I saw a great multitude which no one could counter, every nation, tribe, language, and people gathered around the throne, Revelation 7-9. So that connects the story together. So the pastor, if they understood that every, whether it's a topical sermon, an individual book study that they would do within their churches, Mm -hmm. that is understood in the grander context of the broader story of God.
2: So let me just kind of key off this for a second here. So there's lots of stories, lots of narratives in the Bible but you're talking about the master narrative, the story behind all the other stories. And what you're saying is we're missing that. Oh, definitely.
3: What we do is if we give context in a message or in a Bible study, it's the local context of the book, chapter and verse that we find the scripture in. Instead of, we would never do that with another novel. We would never separate a chapter and go, look at what the author is trying to communicate here. Yeah, that's a good point. It's like, Let's just take one of my favorite verses in the world, Ephesians chapter one, verse three, that in Christ, God has blessed blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. Yeah. But if we don't understand that in the global context of God's story. Right. And the redemption of the nations in the context of that story, then it's all about me. Oh, wow. God's going to (laughs) give me all this stuff. I can get all the, whoa, this is so cool. And all I have to do is give God 10%. No, he blesses his people in order to accomplish his global purpose. That is the theme of scripture.
1: We are in studio today with Jeff Lewis. He is the Discipleship Director with Radical Ministry, and Matthew Ellison, who is the Chief Ministry Officer for 1615, talking about missions and the state of of missions in the United States and the world. And Jeff, you've already experienced the radical traffic of Albuquerque, New Mexico, (laughs) landing here in Albuquerque, and then trying to get here before the show starts. So thanks for making it here.
3: <laughs> That's good traffic. <laughs> I flew in from LA. So. Okay. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, it's crazy. If Jen. I could out uh, of l- traffic for the rest of my so life. So we <laughs> complain
2: locally if you it's more than fifteen or twenty minutes to get across the town. We complain about traffic. I have no idea, right? Mm-hmm. So I will back something to you said uh, that you said, Jeff. I I asked the question: What would you say? Hundred of you know the United States leading pastors in a room. And you, you said, I would challenge them to not miss the main story, what the Greeks call the meta-narrative, the master story behind all the other stories. And I want to surf an example of this that I think people relate with. What's the theme or lesson that you think comes to most people's mind when they think about the story of David and Goliath? Most people, lesson that most people would associate with that story.
3: More than likely, it relates to here is this young boy putting his faith in God yeah. and with very little is able to defeat this giant. Yeah. So you can do all things through God who strengthens you. And obviously that's a part that's a of the story. That's a wonderful part of the story.
2: I, I agree. Most people, when they hear the story of David and Goliath, the theme they associate with it is this. You're big. I'm little. My head only comes to your mind. With God's help, little guys can do big things too, right? Amen. Veggie tales, okay? <laughs> but why don't you tell us the meta-narrative, the story... Behind the other story, because David knew something about God that we seem yeah. to miss. What did he say to Goliath before he took off his head?
3: No, that's a great question, because David is known a man after God's own heart. Yes. So he knew the very essence of the heart of God. Yes, And you can see it in 1 Samuel 17, yep. where you have the story of David and Goliath, where literally, and I'm going to far- paraphrase the first part of this verse, basically, today you're dead meat, Goliath. Yeah. So that all the ends of the earth might know that he is God. Yeah. So David understood that what God is going to allow him to do is just not for his individual conquering of an issue or a problem life or for the Israel. Yeah. It's declaring who God is to all nations. That's right.
2: I'm going to cut off. I will give... The body of the Philistines army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field and all the earth will know that there's a God in Israel. I want to challenge listeners. If you've heard the David and Goliath story and you've a story, but not the meta narrative, you're missing out on something. David knew something that we miss that God was going to give him power, deliver him, but so that God's name and renown might spread throughout the whole earth. So uh, let me ask another question. Let's shift gears here a little bit, Jeff. You endorsed Denny and I's book, When Everything is Missions. Uh, you gave us a pretty amazing forward. And in many ways, I think you put your neck on the chopping block because in the book, we challenge the that not everyone is a missionary. We challenge the idea that everyone is a missionary, I should say. Um, tell us how you would review our book, When Everything is Missions. What do you have about it?
3: The way I would review the book is it's an essential read in a world that most people in the Christian faith believe that everybody, that is one of those selling slogans that, that churches will express to their people so they might do something mm-hmm. normally in a local context. Yeah, And so as we now no longer, if, if someone has even a sense that maybe God is directing them to cross-culturally, Then they're also going to, you can be a missionary here. There's enough people in the United States that don't know Jesus. And you can fulfill that calling or direction in your life. And so because we've made everything as missions. Yeah. And it's been a burden in my heart and life for almost 30 years now. um, or, Or years because I think we as churches have categorized things as missions Budgets look like they're not self-centered. Yeah, that's right. You know, we just have this way of, okay, decades ago was, we'll put our bus ministry in, under missions. We'll put our local, you know, helping the poor, this place So there's a wonderful ministry. Of course. Medicinal. Don't, but n- don't count it or
2: call it missions. That's right. I worked with the church several years ago. And when I first interacted with the church, got church and missions leaders together And they were so excited. They they said, like, over 40% of our budget is missions. And they went through a process of clarifying a biblical understanding of missions, going to the Word. I I didn't help them define missions. The Bible helped them define missions. And they concluded at the end of the process, wow, we're giving a lot less of our money to cross-cultural missions than we thought we were. And so it was a bit of a blow. But with that realization, they said, we're going to start to escalate that. Now, we're still going to do those You know, soup kitchens, homeless shelters, by all means, it's critical ministry, but we're not going to call it missions because if we do that, then what suffers is the cross cultural work of the gospel.
3: It miscommunicates to the congregation what it is. And we have to go back to scripture to discover what it is and be faithful in what God has called us to do. Jeff
1: Lewis, he is the Discipleship Director with Radical Ministry. He joins us in studio with Matthew Ellison. He's the Chief Ministry Officer and Co-Founder of 1615. We're hoping you guys uh, develop a nice partnership. Obviously, Jeff has already reviewed the book that you co-authored called When Everything is Missions. Yeah. A little bit tongue-in-cheek, you guys are really offering some challenging things to the leadership of churches, not just here in Albuquerque, but around the country. That's right. and it, And it's exciting. Uh, Jeff, when, when everybody is taught from the pulpit that everybody is a mission, if you're a missionary, if a Christian is a missionary and everybody's a missionary, the book says no one is a missionary. So, Jeff, I'll postulate the question, what should we all be called if we're not all missionaries?
3: Well, first, I would wholeheartedly agree with the concept that if everyone's a missionary, no one's a missionary. In fact, if you tell everybody they're a missionary, it it creates complacency. And they don't live strategically, intentionally as it relates to the mission of God. What would you call them? I think disciples of Christ, (laughs) disciples of the Savior of the world, Christians. It's, It's this idea that who we are, our very essence of who we are, is to be strategically engaged in the mission of Christ, Some of us will be called to be missionaries and directed to that. But everything we do, whether it's service in the local church, service in our local communities, must be accomplished in the greater global context of God's vision to reach the nations. Yeah,
2: You know, this idea that everyone's a missionary is actually a relatively new development. It wasn't prominent 35, 40 years ago. And one of the things that's going on is we have so lowered our standards of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, which means we should be salt and light at all levels in our own culture. We should be feeding orphans and empty bellies. We should be doing the work of Christ in our own context. We've so lowered that standard. Here's what we think. Well, people aren't doing that work. Let's call them missionaries. And now they'll start to actually take their work seriously. And I believe if you're not behaving like a disciple, Mm. By simply calling someone a missionary, it's not going to change their behavior. So it's well intentioned because we're trying to elevate everyone's understanding of their contribution they can make. But it, like you said, it doesn't make people more active. I think it has the opposite effect.
3: Oh, I would totally agree. Totally agree. Because when you look at how the church really people aren't active engaging their communities. Directed by the Holy Spirit as he would direct the minister to people as he would prompt their hearts to do so. That's right. We're waiting for the church to develop a program for us to be a part of. Yeah, yeah. So one
2: of the pushbacks we get, Jim, I don't know if you've heard this before, Jeff, um, when we challenge the notion that, you know, everyone's a missionary, when we challenge that idea is what Are you saying that missionaries are super special, super spiritual people? I mean, are, are you setting them apart in this way that, you know, lifts and exalts them? Well, not at all.
3: It's, we exalt Christ. We don't exalt men. Yeah. And our responsibility is disciple people towards the path that God has blessed them to accomplish, uh, develop the skill sets to accomplish. Yeah. And to nurture them so they can be actively participating in his desire that all the nations will be disciples. Yeah.
2: I, I've often said that, and I lifted this from Justin Long, by the way, but missionary is not a rank. It's a role. Yeah. Right? Just like That's pastor. Excellent. Pastor is not a rank. It's mm-hmm. a role. We, we would never say every believer is a pastor. Would, would we, Jim? No. Absolutely not, because you have to have a gift and calling. You have to have a gifting and a calling that's given by the Holy Spirit, confirmed in the church, right? Right, man. Same true as missionary, and we see that in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 13, not everyone was sent. It was Paul and Barnabas.
1: Yes, Matthew, I, I had a question earlier, and that is, if everybody, if the church from the pulpit is teaching, pastors are teaching, everybody's a missionary, there are actually people sitting in seats Who have a calling of God to truly do cross culture, cultural ministry. Mm -hmm. And they're sitting there thinking, okay, well, to go work with the local high school is essential and it's a great work. Absolutely. But that's actually not their calling, is what I hear you say. It's possible. They may be called to go to a foreign country, one of these. How many people have never heard the gospel,
2: message? 7,000 people groups are considered unreached today. Either there's no Christian witness or it's not strong enough to reproduce. And, you know, we look back, Matthew, to the
1: work that you've done at Calvary, both as the director of missions and also in your coaching. And we have missionaries in very strategic places. I I think about Bev Rich, who's in Uganda. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you worked with Bev, but she lost her husband five years ago. Right. here, Here is a... Um, white woman in the middle of Uganda in a place that's kind of scary, but God has
2: put on her heart to be there and love the people. She can't leave there because that's her heart. So, you know, you bring up something that I hadn't even thought about talking about, but that is people like Bev serving in a cross-cultural context, dealing with dynamics on a daily basis that we simply don't face. They need a measure of care that is special because of the nature of their work. So one of The um, slippery slopes of calling everyone a missionary is that the care that they need in order to fulfill that cross-cultural work is um, dismissed. Well, why should we provide them some kind of unusual care, if you want to call it that? I'm a missionary. Talk about that.
3: Well, the care is essential and one of the missing links and one of the reasons why they come before the first term is because they don't have the support from the church They don't even have a good support system on the field because biblical community wasn't even modeled in the church as it should be. So when they send a team over, it's not going to know how to support each other in true biblical community. So there's multiple different facets there. Too many times it's out of sight, out of mind, or we'll just send them something every now and then. They need the support and development just like any other Person who is gifted in ministry, who is in a position at the church, needs the care and nurturing of that congregation.
2: Yeah, and I think this is really important. So we're following this biblical distinctive that there are certain ones set apart for cross cultural work, gifted by the Spirit. That calling is confirmed in the context of a church. They're sent out. Now it's a it's a rank, not a role, but they need special difficult nature of their work. They're facing, again, cross-cultural situations that are incredibly complicated. Often they're in dangerous places. They're under regimes that are hostile to the gospel. So they need special care. And in 3 John, John writes Gaius. He commends him because of his care for these itinerant missionaries. And he says, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God's name because they've gone out for the sake of the name among the Gentiles accepting Nothing. So what I re- is John elevates the importance of sending missionaries as high as it can be elevated. So if you're not called to go, you're called to send, and that's a crucial
3: role. Speak about in the sending, and I have a little different perspective here on the sending. You do. <laughs> yes. What I hear Matthew saying is that if I am participating in the sending of the missionaries. That's my only role. I just help send. Good call, good call. Which means I can now opt out of doing local ministry and developing disciples of the nations in my local settings with youth programs and children's programs. Whatever the focus is, a lot of times if we define what it looks like or what the title is, we'll gravitate to that's the only role I have. I've heard many people say I'm a sender, and then when I ask them questions, it's like, they're not really doing much yeah. except writing a check or praying a prayer every now and then and not giving the support. It takes as much effort to send as it does to go. Yeah. And we don't, let's just face it, we're not used to putting all of our lives and our passion into what God wants us to accomplish. We normally just support a program. I want to ask you both, the nature of radio is
1: we have to tell people what we're going to tell them, then we tell them, and then we tell them what we told them. So it really is time, I think, in the show for you. You've offered a challenge. How do people reach out to, and I'll start with Matt. Uh, Matthew, how do people reach out to 1615? They're realizing now that, Maybe they don't have the plan that they need. Maybe the budget is being spent on things that are not really missions. Valuable ministry. Valuable ministry. Thank you. Yep. They may be valuable ministry, but not necessarily missions. So they really want to follow the biblical mandate. They want to reach all people for Christ. How do they get in touch with you? How do they get some coaching? How do they get some?
2: Yeah. Uh, Our website's probably the best place to go, 1615.org. We have webinars on a variety of topics that could be useful and beneficial. We've been archiving those webinars since 2011. We have a resource called The Mission Table, which is a video-based conversation where we bring leading missions thinkers, practitioners together, and we talk about these topics. That's a free resource. And then, of course, our missions coaching process, which you've mentioned. Mm-hmm. If you're a pastor, a church leader, a missions leader, and you're going, you know what? There's a lot of confusion in our church about missions, about making disciples of all nations we would love to help you assess what's going on and think about how we could walk you through a journey to really help you understand the heart of God, what his mission is, and how we as a local church align ourselves with that. So yeah, look us up at 1615.org, but Radical's got some great stuff too.
3: Well, that's what we're in the process of developing right. some good stuff. Uh, David Platt has a multiple different, messages that you can go to the website and hear about God's heart for the nations, the idolatry of comfort, uh, things that relate to even the Reformation movement and the suffering of the movement of the gospel and such, some excellent resources. He has a number of books. The most recent book he has out is Something Needs to Change, which is basically his uh, taking his experience in the Himalayas over a seven-day period, Mm. and dealing with tough questions. These people are suffering physically, they're suffering spiritually, and they live a life of suffering, and then their destiny is hell. How can God do that? And you have David Platt wrestling with those key questions in the context of that story. We
1: uh, might mention the Missions Frontier magazine that came out as the November-December
2: 2019
1: issue. Something I believe is still available for people to obtain, Matt.
2: Yeah, they can get that at Missions front. I think it's missionsfrontiers.org. But if you just look up Missions Frontiers with our friend Google, it'll take you to that. And that's a free download of that issue. And it's
1: it's an amazing magazine, all kinds of neat things. Uh, Jeff, let's not scare people away from going into a country, like you were talking about the Himalayas and the physical suffering and and the medical issues and other things that people are faced there, because that is something that's going to require pretty long-term commitment. You also believe in short-term missions, and maybe that's a good way for people to get their feet wet if they feel called to the mission field.
3: Short-term missions is something that I believe is invaluable because When you study the discipling concepts of Jesus Christ, he took his disciples on many different short-term excursions. Mm. He takes them to the village of Sychar. He takes them to Tyre and Sidon. He takes them to Caesarea Philippi. Those are cross-cultural experiences that they are involved in. And so he's able to see how they're able to work with that. With the woman, the Syrophoenician woman. They're saying, get rid of the woman when they should have been saying, okay, we get this. We're supposed to minister to Gentiles. (laughs) Yeah, Mm. But, and so he does this. I believe it should be part of the normal discipling process for every follower of Christ, if they're able to do cross-cultural ministry, because it is part of their development. Mm. Yeah. So it's essential. Yeah. And, you
2: know, we often pray, God, make me more like you. Well, if we want to be like God, then the things that matter most to God, which is this global plan to call you know, forth worshippers from every nation, tribe and tongue, that shouldn't be marginal in our lives. It should be central. So I wholeheartedly agree. I, I've often shared the story here, I think, Jim, on this radio show, um, at least in times past, that my life trajectory was completely changed by a short term missions experience in West Africa. Mm-hmm. I, I understood the heart of God in a way I'd never understood it before. I understood I had a role to play and everything within me on that trip said, yes, this is what you were made for. Now, there's some horror stories about short-term mission trips. So if you're going to do them, you need to be culturally prepared. You need to go through some training and some debriefing because uh, if not, you're not going to beat the bad rap because what a lot of people say is, look, they're so expensive Why would we send these people in a short term experience when we can support long term workers, you know, um, much more effectively with those resources? And I say, beat the bad rap by doing proper preparation. Maybe you can talk just a little bit about how do you get prepared
3: for a short term experience? Well, in that proper preparation, you also need to understand that giving to short term missions is investment into development of the people in the church so that. From that, they can learn the cross cultural elements that exist in Albuquerque. Yeah. I mean, you just don't minister to your own kind. That is not the Christian faith. (laughs) You see it in the Old Testament as God gave laws according to the immigrant within their midst. And within the context of the church, God has broken down the walls of separation. Yeah. And so that's cross cultural ministry wherever we happen to be. Yeah. But in that, the nurturing element of it, it is essential for us to develop the biblical. So they understand this flows from the biblical story. It flows from those biblical concepts. Yeah. Developing the spiritual. If we're not walking in the spirit, yes. if we haven't exercised who we are in the spirit, because we walk by faith, not by sight, we walk by the spirit, not by the flesh— If that's not nurtured, we're not going to serve the nations well, and we're not going to serve our own local community well. Then we have to have the cross-cultural, as you mentioned. Yeah.
2: There's a webinar, actually, that Denny Spitters did, who I co-authored this book with. It's called Rethinking Short-Term Missions. And he hits on like five key ingredients for an effective short-term mission trip. So again, if you're a short-termer, which is, again, we both believe in it. We, We see the value of it. You need to do it well. And I like what you said. It's not replacement for... Funding long term engagement. It should be a piece of a larger
3: picture. You're really investing in the short term of this going. And one other thing I'd recommend a lot of times people will go to their first short term mission and that's the only place they <laughs> yeah, return that's to. It's mm. true. I believe the church should have levels of involvement, have an initial level of involvement that is ease into a cross cultural situation. Then as they develop the people, let's now take them to another level because we can get so in the pre-packaged mission yeah. trips Great point. to where we only focused on that and we forget the unreached Yeah, and taking them to some of the hard places. Yeah, And that's all part of the church's development and discipling. I think I've got a
1: question that I don't know if I'm going to phrase properly because you don't know what you don't know. But I'm a retired banker. So I'm thinking in one of our earlier segments, you talked about churches budgeting for a missions program. How would somebody accurately measure a return on investment without thinking it has anything to do with dollars.
3: Great question. Well, you're talking about assessment. And since I come from the academic world, if we can't assess how we've accomplished what we say we can accomplish in a syllabus, we have failed miserably. So that means the church has to develop assessment tools to, as they train and develop people for short-term missions that they then, through a process of a year or two afterwards, assess how are they being involved in local ministry? How are they discipling people towards Christ and in Christ? How are they uh, being faithful stewards of the resources that God has given them? Do they sh- see a shift in any of those things of greater involvement? You, The churches must have good assessment tools to, to find whether it works or not.
2: Yeah, Uh He's talking about activity, right? Yes. Spiritual outcomes must be left to the spirit. Mm -hmm. And I think this is really important, especially when we're talking long-term, you hit on some short-term pieces, like how do we evaluate the effectiveness of these short-term trips? Are people praying more, giving more, engaging more, all those pieces. But when we think about ROI in field, especially among the least reach and the unreach, Jim, we have to have a long view of partnership because they are in the world's hardest places. Again, under regimes, hostile to Christianity. And here's one of the things I hear from some really well-meaning businessmen. That's not a good investment because I don't see ROI. But when you're talking about engaging a Muslim people that's hardened to the gospel, you can't just measure outcomes. You have to measure activity. And it may take years to see that hard ground get broken up. So I have a passion to see donors investors who have what I call apostolic imagination who say, you know what? My reward may actually come in heaven. I may not even see it on earth. And that's tough when people are funding social welfare projects, mercy ministries, because they can show concrete specific things that have happened. But when you're talking about measuring new birth, boy, that's a tough one. Sometimes that happens. We see it in the book of Acts, 3000 added, this can happen, but it, it doesn't happen all the time.
3: No, that's very good. In fact, Uh, a couple of points in there in the activity, you know, spiritual development produces fruit as this, as we abide in the vine and bear much fruit. And so prove to be his disciples. And if we are disciples of Christ, there is going to be that fruit development. But I realize 32 years of mobilization, what I have been working towards, I will probably never see the fulfillment of that. I'm in the last season of life and My my vision is not a vision I've created. It's a vision God has stated in scripture. And that's what drives me because I know it's going to happen. I mean, in Habakkuk 2.14, he says, for the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. That is a statement of fact. Yeah.
2: And that connects to Revelation 5. The Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the earth and surrounding him is the reward of his suffering. And not all will go. But if they have participated in that global purpose by mobilizing, praying, discipling, all these things Jeff mentioned, then I believe that the joy of the worshiping nations that are there, that you had a part in, you know, in their basically delivery into heaven, that becomes part of your inheritance. Amen. Amen. Well, today I'm hoping that we have leadership of churches. I'm hoping that we have
1: lay people that uh, may be senders. Maybe they're called to go into the mission field. Whatever it is that you, whatever state you're in and you're listening to this program and you're interested in what these two gentlemen have to say, uh, let's go over the websites one more time because I want to
2: make sure that we yes, give one, people resources. 16, the numerals, 1615.org. Radical.net. And I want to flex his muscles here. He wrote a really excellent book called God's Heart for the Nations. Mm-hmm. And it is an incredible discipleship, devotional study that small groups can go through, individuals can go through, that introduces them to this meta narrative, this story behind all the other stories of God discipling all nations. Matthew, let's let's really get to know Jeff a little bit. Yeah, we've been talking about some academic stuff, and of course, you're an academic, right? I mean, that's been your passion. You've been mobilizing students for 20 plus years at California Baptist University. California Baptist. So, but I want to get to the heart of the matter. Would you share with our listeners, myself as well, about some you know, one or two meaningful experiences you've had on the frontier with Jesus? That you've been taking, as you've taken the gospel cross culturally.
3: So the very first, quote, mission trip I ever took was in 1991. I had never been on. I was a globally clueless church planner in north-central Pennsylvania, and God began to, halfway through that ministry in Pennsylvania, begin to open my eyes and my heart to this meta-narrative that we were talking about earlier. Yeah. And then in 1991, I was able to go to Kazakhstan. I took 50 college students with me from around the country, and... That's when Kazakhstan was still part of the Soviet Union. And I remember being in Soviet Union helicopters who were taking us up to the plateau region to have a festival with Kazakh nomads. Mm. And that was cool. But probably the coolest thing that God allowed us to do during those three weeks I was there is I was invited to go to five Soviet youth camps. And I was able to place college students on those, in those youth camps. Mm. And at each youth camp, as I would go to visit, ultimately the leadership asked me to talk to the youth about Christ. Wow! In one youth camp, there were about a hundred plus. I'm given the gospel, and they said, "Go ahead." Mm-hmm. And so I presented the gospel, and I said, "Who would like to commit their lives to Christ?" Every kid, twelve to fourteen, raised their hand. Mm. And I said, maybe you didn't understand. So I went over again mm. and they all raised their hand mm. to commit their lives to Jesus Christ. We saw a phenomenal ministry yeah. going on there and ministry leaders that came to know Christ that are still there now spreading the gospel in Kazakhstan. Uh, beautiful.
2: I, I want to share one of my stories if I can really briefly. I've got quite a few. I've not been to 56 countries. I've been to 50. So I'm, I'm not oh, I'm quite. Sorry, you're me. not very
3: global. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I'm going to circle back to my experience here at Calvary. One of the big components of our mission strategy many years ago when I was a missions pastor was to see the gospel planted among the Guaymi people of Panama, Bibleist people. The church was established, but it was fledgling and it was struggling because they didn't have God's word in their heart language. Well, Calvary Albuquerque rallied, funded the translation, sent out full-time missionaries, did strategic short-term trips. Well, one of those trips I had the privilege of being there when they dedicated the Guami New Testament for the very first time. And they asked me to speak of all people. I mean, I felt like I was just witnessing this. I wasn't a part of it, but I did share what it meant for our church to have been you know, engaged in bringing God's word to them. And it was just so incredibly moving. And when I was leaving the field, um, I, I met a Southern Baptist missionary who was walking out of the jungle just as we were as well. And we shared stories. And, and he said something to me that I'll never forget. And this is one of the reasons I encourage people health permitting, to do a short-term mission trip, if done well. He said, you know, Matt, um, he was telling me stories about his experience. He says, I'm the one, um, I went fishing, but I'm the one that got hooked is what this short-term missionary said to me. And, and I think that's what happens when you engage mm-hmm. with a father in the family business of fishing for the souls of men from all nations, you get hooked it's compulsion you don't have to do it you want to do it it's something you desire so again i just want to reinforce that health permitting go on a trip well done well prepared um yeah so jeff let me ask this question we talked about this a little earlier in the interview here but what do you say to pastors there's a lot of pastors listening perhaps if not there's a lot of churchmen listening maybe they can pass this on to their pastor but again, they've been told everyone's a missionary, everything done in Jesus' name is missions. What do you say to them so that they don't miss, on this, miss out on this meta-narrative of being a part of this redemptive plan?
3: Well, I could go back and reinforce what I said about understanding every sermon they do must be understood in the context of that meta-narrative. But there's one single verse that I believe summarizes the entire scriptures, and I think it would help pastors, disciplers, children's minister, high school ministers, whatever minister, senior adult ministry. The number one reason why I believe we have the Bible is so that we might fall in love with Jesus Christ, that we might fall in love with the father through his son. That's our greatest privilege. Yeah. And listen to Psalm 4610. Most of us know the first phrase, be still and know that I am God. We think that's it. But then the global perspective of God is the next phrase, and I will be exalted among the nations, and I will be exalted in all, all the earth. Mm. My challenge to any discipler, whatever your position is, volunteer or paid, that our goal is to develop disciples of the nations who are passionately pursuing intimacy with the living God through his son, mm. Jesus Christ. That God, what seems to be communicating in Psalm 46, 10, that the result of that is having the same heart that God has, mm. having the same perspective God has. He's yeah. going, I want you to know me, but don't miss this. I will be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in all the earth. Yeah, That should be the passion of everyone who claims the name of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Yeah, absolutely true. And that psalm is relevant in more ways than you just
2: shared because yes. it. the psalm talks about the world falling apart. And in the midst of that, God emphatically says, I'm going to complete my work. So I, I've heard John Piper say something, you know, we have two choices when it comes to this mandate to make disciples of all nations, join God and become a co laborer with the father in the imminent completion of history's greatest movement or number two, miss out. Those are the options. You can join God in this plan or miss out and nothing's going to stop it. And this, the Psalm reveals that it's emphatic. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth.
3: That's God has revealed His heart to us. Yeah.
2: When you, when you go
1: into the mission field and you work with a people group and it could be uh, for 10 years, it could be for 30 years. Uh, We mentioned Bev Rich a little bit earlier. She's been in Uganda for quite some time. Do you see people coming to salvation and then also being able to care for their own communities? Where things change for them in terms of poverty and and other health issues and so forth?
3: Yes, but not as well as it needs to happen because— I don't believe we have a good theology of the kingdom. I believe, if I was going to summarize it, and I don't know if I can even do this, but the church is a community of the king that is to live out the reality that the king now dictates how we treat each other in the church. We love one another, serve one another, bear one another's burdens, confess our faults to one another, teach one another, admonish one another. And we could go on and on with 40 other one another's. That is what the church looks like when Christ is king over relationships and interaction. And then when there's hope for the widow, hope for the poor, hope for the displaced, hope for the disfranchised in the context of the churches that are planted among the unreached of the world, that now becomes a living manifestation that the kingdom has come to this place. And then what they're doing in the context of the body of Christ now moves into the community of of the culture that they're a part of that don't know Christ. And they're drawn to Christ through the visualization of the gospel and the verbalization of the gospel.
1: Matthew, you uh, are a coach and this gentleman here has been doing this for a long time. Yeah. And I can just see you gleaning all of the, the wisdom that he has about this. Yeah, How do you think you beating today with Jeff's going to change your coaching?
2: You know, Jeff and I have been talking about this for some weeks now, maybe months, and that's the kingdom aspect. You know, what it means to be a child of the king and how that affects the way we live our faith out. So for a long time, I I have, by God's grace, understood this mandate, this, you know, global call of God to see people rescued from every nation tribe to tongue. I don't know if I've always thought about the kingdom aspect of that. So that's something we're actually working on together, in fact, is what does it mean to see the kingdom of God brought to bear in our great commission endeavors.
1: Wow. What an awesome show. And you guys have a lot more to do today, and you have a lot of projects uh, we're going to be praying that you work together on. And um, Jeff, what do you hope to accomplish with your your time here in Albuquerque?
3: What I hope to accomplish is pay attention to what God wants to prayerfully join together Mm. in a partnership that will enhance the mobilization of the church throughout not only the United States to the ends of the earth. We have some partners
1: or potential partners for you that are listening right now. How do they get in touch with you?
3: Well, the easiest way is radical.net and there will be information on how they can uh, get in touch with me on that. Or they can uh, even, this is always dangerous, but here is my email. It's jlewis at radical.net.
2: Radical.net. And Matthew? 1615.org. And there's a link to an email for me as well on there. 1615.org.
1: And I do want to emphasize, Matthew, you've told us this and we only have a few seconds left, but a lot of the resources are free for people to get excited about and learn a little bit about what you do. Tell us a couple of those resources that you think might be the most valuable.
2: So just in light of this conversation here today, there is a episode of the mission table called everyone is a missionary and we're challenging that idea. Sure. You can get that at the mission it's episode one season one actually it's been our most viewed episode from about four years ago it's a really provocative i would say robust conversation and in that conversation we have people on both sides of the debate and then go to our webinars at 1615.org a lot of the things we talked about today short-term missions how do i get my pastor engaged it's there
0: you've been listening to matthew ellison and jeff lewis on a program recorded on a recent broadcast We hope this discussion will give you an appetite for more about the state of the Great Commission. Let me give you two websites to note. First, go online to wheneverythingismissions.com. Here you'll find an archive of mission table talks, When Everything is Missions episodes, and much more including teachings by Matthew Ellison that will get your attention and give direction. Also, you'll see a link for Matthew's book co-authored with Danny Spitters, When Everything is Missions that link again when everything is missions.com and then you can go to radical.net for excellent resources by our guest today jeff lewis discipleship director with radical ministry that's radical.net and that'll do it for now we'll be back next time on when everything is missions